get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. I'm Xu Jinduo. China and Germany has uh, renewed high-level financial talks in Germany. On Sunday, both sides reached agreement on some 25 topics, increasing cooperation in insurance and banking, and expanding mutual market access were high on the agenda. What is the state of China-Germany economic re uh, relations right now? Are we going to see closer cooperation between the two countries? Well, Germany is also de-risking from China. And what the future looks like for China-Germany ties? To answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Professor Ian Beck from the London School of Economics and Political Science, Professor Liu Baocheng at the University of International Business and Economics, and Xu Qiang, Research Fellow at Beijing's Foreign Studies University. Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Well, welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Bo Chen, I will start with you. So this China-Germany high-level financial dialogue mechanism was established in 2014, and then for the second dialogue was held in 2019, uh, right before the COVID-19 pandemic. And now, finally, we had this, uh, the third dialogue you know, after four years. Tell us more about this mechanism. You know, what is it for and why it is important for the two countries? Well, for the entire EU, uh, uh, China has really attached a greater importance for trade and investment given the uh, hostile environment, uh, what is going on in uh, North America. And uh, at the same time, the EU sees this opportunity to uh, participate in the booming economy in the Chinese uh, industries. And uh, as a matter of fact, the, the dialogue uh, on uh, finance has been going on almost in synchronization uh, with the uh, bilateral investment uh, treaty negotiation with uh, EU, uh, in which the, uh, Germany is a leading member. And uh, both sides see that uh, uh, the importance of trade and investment, particularly uh, when Germany uh, is uh, having uh, nearly 90% of its uh, revenue from China, and uh, we have been the largest trading partner for uh, Germany for consecutively seven years. And uh, so many of uh, the leaders in the business community from Germany, they see the great opportunity and also the great potential to be tapped. And now, you know, with more of the opening of uh, Chinese uh, uh, in terms of the uh, sectors, so particularly uh, with more of the financial sector, be it banking, be it insurance, and they also see that that will be a added uh, advantage uh, for the German companies to operate in China. So that's why uh, you know the interruption of the COVID is finally over, and now the resumption is uh, highly needed and it's a critical juncture for us to really to re renew and uh, continue, hopefully on annual basis on this dialogue to smooth line the a number of, uh, I should say, more of those, uh, you know, the uh, disagreements and also the ambiguities that is lying ahead uh, for further opening of the two markets. Mm -hmm. For the opening of the two markets. Uh, Ian, uh, if you look at these agreements, uh, you know, largely like uh, uh, the joint statement from the two sides, uh, they agreed with each other 
on the multiple uh, areas, you know, 25 of them, uh, you know, uh, increased access to market, uh, both sides, and also, you know, they are, both sides are against the protection, protectionism, you know, they are for the rules-based uh, multilateral, uh, say, uh, and basically trading system surrounding uh, WTO, etc. There's a, this sense of optimism, and also, and people would say, largely would say this dialogue is a successful one. What's your take? Well, the first thing to say is that China and Germany have, let's say, at least three significant things in common. The first we've already been hinting at is that they are both export-orientated growth models. Uh, China clearly has a, a massive surplus, like Japan, but Germany within Europe has a massive surplus vis-a-vis -vis not only the rest of the world, but other European countries. And this is a significant part of its, of its growth potential. But the two countries also face two challenges in the coming years. The first is the energy transition. You know about uh, Germany's attempts to wean itself off coal, its dependence on Russian gas, China, I think, faces something similar and is moving very rapidly towards much more carbon, a much less carbon intensive energy system. And the third thing both countries face, China, probably equally with, with Germany, which is among the, mo the most uh, vulnerable in Europe to this, is the demographic change, an aging population, which is requiring them to think about new ways, not just of funding their economies, but whether a different growth model might be more appropriate. So all these things, I think, motivate to coming together to say, how can we learn from each other? How can we recalibrate our relations with the rest of the world? Because we are two of the biggest players in export markets, maybe a bit less so in financial markets, but financial markets is one way we're going to try to change our model towards something different from the reliance on manufacturing, which has been at the core of the growth model for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll speak of the financial uh, sector, Chuqian, uh, you know, some of the highlights were both sides agreeing to cooperate on insurance supervision, you know, establishing a dialogue to exempt some requirements for Chinese banks in Germany and at least one Chinese bank to establish a subsidiary, a subsidiary in Germany as its European hub. It seems to the European side and the German side is, is, is keen you know, to secure the Chinese um, uh, uh, you know, banks you know, to invest or conduct business in their cities here, uh, meaning Frankfurt. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I think this is actually an excellent conference. Well, personally, I've been a participant in these activities for years. Uh, in 2017 and 18, uh, we had parallel scholar meetings alongside of those meetings. So personally, I was in Frankfurt as well. Uh, I witnessed everything has uh, been progressing for all these years, even though we have the uh, interruption of the, uh, uh, the pandemic for three years. But now we're very glad to see everything finally are making breakthroughs and achieving very, very high. So basically, like you just mentioned, um, I think the cooperation is solid. We can just uh, shorten them in three words. One is uh, digital cooperation, second is green cooperation, and set, uh, third is the regulation and cooperation. Of course, they're all in the financial sectors. Uh, for example, like uh, the regulation sector, so why in China? Actually, you probably for our audience, if you're not in the financial sector, you probably don't know that China and Germany actually have very close relations in the financial corporations. Do you know when China grow into an aviation uh, and also the space big country, the Munich Re, that insurance company, is the first 
international insurance company to provide insurance for Chinese rocket launching. So this is just one of the start. But for very, very, and also uh, letting alone the Deutsche Bank, one of the most important, the European uh, commercial bank has already said that uh, they're very early branches in China. And also vice versa. And China also have very big uh, commercial banks in Germany for as well. But why we're still talking about this? And also, last time when I was in Europe, we visited Germany as well as in Luxembourg. You would find a one funny fact is that uh, many of the HQ of the Europe uh, of the Chinese uh, commercial banks are located in Luxembourg instead of in Frankfurt. That is because the regulation standards are different. So Germany really want to revise that situation. They want to improve their conditions uh, to recalibrate with the standard with China, also as well as with the international uh, standard, so that Chinese uh, commercial bank like the Giant Four, at least one of them, can have their European, uh, you know, HQ in Germany relocated to Germany. So this is uh, just one of the start. And also, I think the standard can be spelled over to insurance companies. Later, you're probably going to see see Chinese huge insurance company also be moving their uh, you know uh, European HQ into Germany as well. And also this cooperation means a lot for China as well because the Bundesbank von Deutschland, which is Central Bank of Germany, actually the one of the most employ important employer for the ECB, so which means when we have this regulation cooperation on the standard and everything with Germany, and then we can meet the standard basically of all European Union. So this is an important uh, step for Chinese banking sector as well. So in the coming four or five years, we're going to see more of the solid progress made in this area. More and more detailed examples are going to happen in this area. Okay, so more is uh, to happen in terms of uh, such, such kind of cooperation, or let's say uh, moving the headquarters from somewhere in the European Union to uh, the German cities there. Uh, that's, that would be interesting to watch. And both sides also agreed to open market access, in, uh, which is, uh, quote, based on a level playing field, uh, while at the same time committing to uh, combating trade protectionism and supporting the rules-based, non-discriminatory, fair, open, inclusive, equitable, and sustainable uh, transparent multilateral trading system with WTO at its core. You know, the, the opposition to tr protectionism, of course, you know, what comes to mind would be uh, what happened, the, the latest uh, about uh, the so-called investigation uh, into the reported subsidy of the Chinese EVs. Or, you see, protectionism from Washington, basically. Uh, that's, uh, I, I think, basically a consensus, you know, for people to watch there. So what do you think they are referring to? Uh, like, okay, we oppose treat protectionism, and we'll refrain from doing that. Well, but I think both sides have a large agreement over uh, these keywords, uh, you know, transparency, accountability, sustainability, and uh, you know, more opening of the market. But uh, it is also a, a very interesting phenomenon. We see that uh, uh, the e-vehicles, as you mentioned, to be imported into Europe, uh, really uh, much of the investment derived from Europe and also particularly from Germany. And uh, you can see that uh, when China is really introducing a tough requirement on the quantity and percentage of e-vehicles to be produced in China, and uh, the Chinese auto industry is highly uh, uh, participated and engaged by the German companies. Look at Volkswagen. They take the 40% uh, of, uh, of the entire 
share in the uh, Chinese market. So the when uh, when German companies, European companies are really taking the leading role, and they are also taking the leading role uh, from domestic market into the export market into Europe. So therefore, uh, the Europe uh, it seems that、uh, the Europe is really. Kicking or pushing the auto companies out of Europe, and they get parked in China because of the large potential and because of the realistic revenue they earn. And now, when they really bring the product they make,、uh, you know, using of course some of the Chinese resources, but particularly the Chinese cheaper labor, and then、uh, they get rejected. So this is really、uh, the irony and the fact that、uh, if you look at the subsidies, you know, the、uh, Airbus was also. The subsidized by the government, and as a matter of fact, that is a phase approach. So China is already phasing out the subsidies to the、uh, e-vehicles. So、uh, therefore,、uh, it is really the competitive edge China has really exhibited, particularly to push、uh, and squeeze some of the market space for some of the smaller companies in Germany and the EU at large.、Uh, that really makes them uncomfortable. But it is really the market that really. Uh, sharpened the competitive edge of the Chinese exporters, other than the Chinese government subsidies. So the probe is really more of a political maneuverability, but I do not think it's really going to bring any benefit to the、uh, EU consumers and the EU uh, the uh, auto industry. And in the end, I think this is uh, uh, simply a uh, sort of uh, the uh, political uh, show. Uh, To、uh, pacify some of the,、uh, you know, the uh, the the animosities,、uh, the voices raised in that regard. So I do not think this has really come to a、uh, very much of a punitive uh, measures uh, against the Chinese exports.、Mm. Uh, Bolton, do you see this is a sign? You know, neither side is,、uh, talked about this.、Uh, Uh, you know, possible investigation or the EV subsidies、uh, during this dialogue. Do you see that is as, as a sign of like you know both China and Germany somehow、uh, trying to I don't know like trying to reduce the the the, the impact of this so-called investigation or the possible investigation here? Well, this is let's take this、uh, as an isolated case because we see that both sides really have good intention to engage and renew their commitment to work together for further market opening and、uh, also to remind each other of the the big words like、uh, you know responsibility and、uh, accountability etc and、uh, that's very much also in conformity with the Chinese uh, the uh, drive to move for high quality opening because. Uh, President Xi has、uh, time and again made emphasis on the、uh, systematic opening by converging more on、uh, international norms and、uh, adopting more of the international standard. So the banking industry, the insurance industry, are really、uh, taking the lead to move ahead. And also、uh, because capital together is now combined、uh, very closely with the the realist、uh, the real economy sector. So therefore. I think it's a really positive move. So、mm-hmm. let's treat this as an isolated case, and also, you know, much of the evidence、uh, needs to be uh, really, uh, you know, probed before any conclusion can be drawn.、Mm-hmm. Well,、uh, Ian, obviously, the、uh, you know the German uh, Chancellor uh, Oslo Scholz, you know, in the interview, he talked about uh, uh, he, he's not convinced of this、uh, possible punitive measures.、Uh, 
you know, to, to be polite, you know, to say the least. He talked about um, in the 1980s, so the Japanese car exported to the European market. In the 1990s, you know, uh, Korean uh, cars exported to the European market, so they hold ground. And uh, basically the idea is like uh, they are not a fear, they have no worry about uh, the import of Chinese EVs. Uh, but, um, so they disagree with uh, the European Commission in terms of uh, the possible investigation. Well, I think it's important to stress that Germany is not the sole voice when it comes to thinking about EVs, because it, it is, as you just said, the European Commission which has formal competence for trade policy. And that competence for trade policy leads it to try to integrate the concerns of the 27 member states and not just Germany. And then you have a second element to this, which is that the car industry in Germany is a very big component of its export model. But it's a car industry which is spread across Europe. It's a kind of hub-and-spoke approach where hubs like Munich and Stuttgart, respectively BMW and Mercedes, have spokes going out into several other member states of the European Union. They, they do manufacturing, they, they do elements of design, but the headquarters are in Germany. So the, the, the car industry in general is going to be lobbying quite hard in the European Commission to slow down, let's say, some of the potential imports from, from China. But European consumers are a different story. They're, they're very happy to be able to buy uh, Chinese EVs because they're much lower cost and they're much more attractive financially to them. So there's a tension in two directions there, between China and the EU in general, between Germany's interests and the EU's general interests, and between consumers and producers, which gets messy when you try to disentangle it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian, uh, related, if you take a look at the languages you know, by both sides, uh, it seems that both China and Germany, they remain a strong force for uh, globalization or for free trade or for more trade, let's say, you know, based on or surrounding the rules uh, of WTO. Yeah, well, they're, they're export-led economies. They, they have a strong interest in free trade. The, the usual contrast within Europe is that France tends to be a bit more protectionist and some of the tensions at European level are about reconciling the interests of France and Germany. So that, that, that is part of it. I'd say, nevertheless, that there is some concern strategically in, in, in Brussels, as a part, in the part of the European Commission, but also in many national capitals, be it Berlin or Paris, about what's called strategic autonomy, this concept that was initially floated by Emmanuel Macron, the French president, the concern that somehow Europe is vulnerable to too much being produced in China and therefore needs to re reshore or repatriate some of the activities that have previously been purchased from China and other suppliers in Southeast Asia. So that tension too has to be factored into the storyline. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Chu Chang, if you look at this uh, relationship between China and Germany, uh, for example, investment uh, uh, for this first half of this year, 2023, is about 10.3 billion euros. Uh, it's a slightly uh, less than 12 billion euros invested in the first half of last year, but it's a second high, let's say, uh, in years. Uh, so do you see the slight drop this year? I mean, it's, it's just uh, not much in terms of the numbers, um, is that a problem or, I mean, you are happy, it's fine, compared to probably 2019, it's more than 2019 or 2020. Well, I don't think this is a, a problem because uh, if you do investment, you will know the financial are very cyclical. 
which means if you don't put uh, you know, one of the money in somewhere next year, you wouldn't put the same amount of money because you have already purchased the, uh, the land, the machine, the equipment. So every round of investment, it can be different, that's for sure. But you only look at the general pictures. Are the increasing? Is everything is still growing? And that's the whole thing we need to know. And Germany actually are having a very important interest in China. But one thing is that China and Germany always have a very good relation with each other. One just a very fun fact is that even during the World War II, Germany still helped China to find, fight against Japan. Uh, so that can be very interesting, isn't it? And also, uh, since the uh, outbreak of the conflict in Ukraine, Germany really want to relocate several of the capacities back in the Far East, which is more stabler and peaceful. So they understand that. And also for uh, the Europe, another thing like you just mentioned, aging problem, shrinking demand, and where do they just make up for it? I think in China, in ASEAN countries. So you see in many German companies, they based their greater China HQ or the greater Asian HQ in China, which means they still paid attention to this market. They value the probably the largest growing middle income class in China, as well as the growing ASEAN nations. So these are actually within their thinking, as well as we just hear our colleagues just mentioned, a lot of people like the European Comedy are saying, okay, Chinese uh, EV are trying to steal your market. But I think German, uh, a country full of uh, philosophers, they have all this wisdom to understand China would not do that because Japan used to pop out. And Japan, Japanese car and the German cars, they all have their niche market. Today is a similar question, right? Chinese EV will have its niche market, and German vehicle will also have its, uh, you know, niche market. Everybody can profit from this competition, and everybody can see the progress in technology together. So it's going to be a win-win eventually. So I think in the future, um, German companies will still value, uh, you know, uh, their investment in China, and also, as I heard from many friends from Germany, they're planning to do so. Uh, not only the uh, uh, not only the traditional company, as well as many of the growing SMEs and technologies. And also, let you, uh, let, let's just think about this. Even though right now we have competition in the automobile uh, sectors, but also with Chinese growing in the EV industry, more of the German companies are still benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. For example, the Bosch. We have the electric motors using from the Bosch. And also China is importing more of the Airbuses from the European market. So we're going to have a closer tie instead of uh, getting away from each other. Yeah, but but Chichan, there's a you know this is a relationship not free from problems. For example, you know despite the talk of level playing field, uh, the German side has uh, been reportedly uh, talking about you know basically get rid of the Huawei equipment from their telecom system. I um, mean, how how level playing field is that? Well, I think. Well, first of all, every industrialized country, they used to have some certain kinds of the subsidies to their own product, for sure. Germany used to do that. America used to do that to England as well. And uh, Japan used to do that to American market and uh, European market as well. But that's not forever. It usually just lasts in the baby period of time. So when their industry just get matured and then they will get close to the international reach, fulfill the international commitment. So everybody will have this, uh, you know, fair play in the uh, market as well. China is a large country uh, with uh, very solemn commitment to the WTO and trade partners. So China has tried to 
fulfill its commitment right now. Mm -hmm. As well as talking about Huawei, and Huawei, I don't think it's uh, it's a fair example because Huawei made all this technology breakthrough mostly by themselves, independently. So I think uh, their bashing on the Huawei product in Europe is mostly being misled by you know some suspicions by some politicians. It's politics, not business competition. Mm -hmm. So I think it's this more, is something we need to pay attention to. Yeah, more about the politics. Uh, uh, but for, for Ian and Bochum, briefly, you know, of course, you know, before that, we heard of, uh, uh, I mean, quite a uh, amount of uh, de-risking uh, strategy, uh, either EU-China relationship or Germany's-China policies. Uh, uh, so Ian, here now we are seeing basically almost that you know, you know the meeting as successful as uh, you know before 2019. Uh, it's it's like a deja vu of uh, base cooperations between the two countries. So, so what what is the strategy? What exactly is the German strategy on China here? Well, I think we, we're seeing two things happening simultaneously. Germany recognizes that China matters. We all know that. It matters because it's a major export market, but it matters also because of suspicion of what's going to happen next in the United States. We, we can all speculate to endlessly about whether Trump will come back and completely up, turn everything upside down. But the United States is in the background in all of these discussions. And more specifically on Huawei, the, the message that's coming out from European politicians to citizens in Europe is we are suspicious of Huawei because they have an obligation to report to the Chinese government. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But it's the way it's being framed in the European debate is that Huawei is Huawei equipment risks being used to spy on what you're doing. Well, Bochum, briefly, the, before the US had a problem with the Huawei, there's no questioning about Huawei, right? Well, uh, you know, uh, to answer your question first with regard to the de-risking and uh, well uh, de-risk does it mean uh, the uh, totally by definition to reduce dependence on China well they have to look at the other side of the coin by reducing the independent uh, the uh, their dependence on China's imports and export and also investment I think it's going to uh, increase their risk. So because it is really the business community who are making a wider decision, so the de-risking is uh, more of a uh, political uh, slogan that is there to meet a more of the outcry from the leftist. The other uh, uh, issue is really the structural divergence because China used to have full compatibility with the Europe and also with Germany. You know, when China was uh, uh, supplying more of the textile, the, mm -hmm. the uh, raw materials, etc. And then uh, the uh, when Europeans and Germans they it's, sent it's more, more like of a the high tech stuff. In, uh, Sorry. Yeah, in China, but right now was the high quality growth. With yes. that, we come to the uh, end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinzhuo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.